welcome to Dr. Cheryl's Pod Couch, where we talk about all things mental health. I am so excited today to have Caroline McGuire. She is the author of the forthcoming book, Why Won't You Play With Me, and is a passionate personal coach, author, teacher, and speaker whose work has inspired important conversations about social skills at elementary and middle schools across the U.S. She specializes in children who have autism, ADHD, learning disabilities, executive functioning challenges, or just kids with social skills deficits. She says her dedication, passion, and efforts are a direct result of her own struggles to fit in as a child with ADHD and dyslexia. Hi, Caroline. <laughs> Hi, how are you? I'm good. Thanks so much for being on. I can't wait to talk to you. I, and I, you, I've long um, been uh, an admirer of your work, and I'm glad we get to chat. Oh, good. I'm so excited. So I first want to start off with the last thing I said in your bio, your personal story, um, your own challenges in growing up with uh, your own, you know, disabilities. And so can you start there? Can you tell us what that was like and how you got inspired to kind of get into your career? Sure. Um, so I'm an only child and I was raised um, partly by my grandparents. So there I was with this total world of adults. And so I was great with adults, but I was, you know, busy reading The Longest Day and pretending to be Scarlett O'Hara because I was very into drama and it didn't really jibe with the average fourth grader. So one of my issues was I had really no ability to relate to other kids. Um, I played, I had a great neighborhood, but sort of this trouble started um, once I matriculated away from my neighborhood where I kind of had a built-in friend group. And I was also in this tiny private school where my parents put me because, and this is in the book, because they wanted to help me with my dyslexia, but I had only one other, two other girls in my class and they were my bullies. So I was in sort of and this happens to a lot of kids. I had a bunch of things going on. I think my self-esteem was very low because of, um, you know, being called out for reading aloud and having those struggles with, with dyslexia. We didn't know I was ADHD at the time because it was just, you know, the 80s and we just knew so little. Um, and so I think I struggled with just that relating to other kids piece. Um, and as a middle schooler, um, things kind of came to a head. I went to a different school. I had one glowing light though. I was in drama and I loved it and I was good at it. And a, a couple of teachers really helped me, um, to kind of see that like the world wasn't going to change. I had to change. And I really learned to sort of study and observe other kids and you know, I would go out and I would buy what they were talking about to listen to. And I, I started to join more things and I really made an effort to kind of get to know them. I even changed the way I spoke because I was, you know, sort of um, really formal, which is how I had been raised. You know, my parents are the kind of people who think like, if you don't read the New York Times on Sunday, you don't deserve to live, but it doesn't make you relate to other kids. And so um, when I was getting into executive function coaching 15 years ago, um, everybody is always focused on academics. And I just was seeing all these kids who had problems like mine or different, but they were struggling. And I felt like there was so little, um, there's this gap, right? If you, if you have an autism spectrum diagnosis, you get help. There's like this, this path you take, but if you're shy, introverted, depressed, anxious, 
um, you have ADHD and self-regulation issues, you're um, a little dreamy, you're an old soul, there's really not a path for you. And parents really had no resources. And it became so obvious to me right away. Yeah, there's so much in what you just said. Let me let me go back a little bit because first you had the double whammy of uh, dyslexia and ADHD. So you're right, today, even today, somebody with dyslexia will likely be either in a program or get some pullout or get some sort of special attention, which at the school age is not desirable. So that's a problem. And then I think sometimes people don't realize that kids with ADHD need so much social skills help. They think that they need all of this other help and what they don't realize is sometimes when I'm beginning an evaluation, I'll say, well, how do they get along with the other kids? Do kids like to play with your kid? And I'm asking these play type questions because it's really gonna put up red flags for me whether this diagnosis is really a fit. But um, one of the things that I think you you really hit on at this last part is these shy, introverted, maybe they don't have a diagnosis or a label kind of kid and they're just not relating well to others. I also see this, I work with a lot of gifted kids. So I work with the gifted yes. and talented and they need social skills help as much as kids on the autism spectrum. You find that too? Yes, absolutely. And I'm, and, and again, I'm not saying kids on the autism spectrum shouldn't get that help, but I, I've noticed that, you know, those kids who are gifted and talented, those kids who are, you know, the future Bill Gates, those kids, I, I, I hear all the time from parents, you know, I don't want to quell them. I don't want to clip their wings. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ability to be with other people, relate to them and interface with them and really be able to collaborate with them. And, you know, I find that there's a lot of kids who fall into that um, place of there's really no one helping them and they need a ton of social skills help. Yeah, it's, it was actually, I wasn't formally trained in working with gifted kids. It just kind of came about about 13 years ago for me. And now I have almost at least 75% of the kids I work with are, are as designated as gifted. And we are talking about bridging statements and greetings and eye contact often because it's almost like you said, they have such different interests and they maybe do read the paper on the weekends and they just, they talk about things that other kids can't relate to. And I do feel like then as a play therapist that they, we still want to have this sort of even development where you can be, you can yes. still be you, but you can also play like your age. You may have the cognitive ability of a 12 year old, but if you're eight, I still want you to play like you're eight. And that's actually really challenging to achieve. It is really challenging to achieve. And I find that a lot of the kids that I work with are really in their head. You know, they're they're really smart. You know, one of the things that comes up a lot is that kids will not talk to anyone else because they think that what they say is going to be wrong. But then, you know, you're just sitting there next to someone, you're not responding to them, and they feel like you're you know, weird and creepy. So it's a whole one reason that in why will no one play with me, I talk a lot about the stories we tell ourselves is that a lot of the kids I work with have a whole story. And some of the story for the gifted might be, I'm going to be fine as an adult, I'm going to be fine when I get to college. But, you know, what I try to say to parents is, that's actually not what the research and my personal experience bears out because you need these skills no matter what age you are. 
you yeah. know, and there, there's, we're not asking the kid to be a different kid. We're asking them to be their best self, you That's know, right. and have choices. That's right. Um, and I'm, I meet a lot of adults who say to me, I can't switch jobs. You know, they're geniuses. They went to Princeton, they went to Harvard, but they're like, I can't switch jobs because I can't interview. I can't, I can't learn a new supervisor. So my quest to parents is give your child choices and social skills give us choice. Yeah, you, you are just nailing everything. I had a question prepared for you already about this. Uh, my experience is that any kid that has a social skills deficit um, can also have parents who do. And so how do you how do you work with that when you've got adults who you're saying, okay, here's what we're doing in our sessions and here's what I need you to support them with on their playdates or at school or at the birthday party, but they themselves have those challenges? Yeah, that's a really good question. That comes up a lot because often too, you know, one or one of the partners will come to me and say, you know, they get this from the father or the mother or the uncle or whatever. Um, one of the things I do is I use the open question technique and I just ask the parents, you know, where do you think this came from? What have you noticed? You know, and many times parents will not say that they are going to change, but they'll explain that they used to be like this, or they notice this characteristic in themselves, but they usually tell me it's too late for them. Um, and one of the things that I always say, I'm a family coach because I'm working with the whole family. And one of the reasons I say that is because gently over time, I am often having to talk to the parents about in order to support this child, we need to address some of your social stories, some of the way you are interacting. Um, if, if a parent is really introverted, that's fine, except you might be raising an extrovert, right? So we have to look at those things. And that's where building the trust and intimacy of the relationship. And that's one reason that as I'm encouraging parents to coach their own kid I'm a lot of what you read and why will no one play with me is about not judging not leaping to conclusions not telling because you're talking about the thing that everybody is the most embarrassed by um, and just one other thing I wanted to say is that yeah the research shows that about 50% of people with social skills problems have parents with social skills problems and it's partly modeling it's partly neurology but I mean it, it just for the audience I wanted to say that because it's it's something that we shouldn't be embarrassed about but it's not a surprise right right and you mentioned something that I want to make sure there's clarity for the listener you mentioned something about introverts, and I'm, I want you to talk more about be introverts because I don't think introverts necessarily have poor social skills. Um, so no. can you talk about social skills of an introvert versus an extrovert or even an ambivert? That's what I consider myself. Well, yeah, and so what I mean by the introvert comment is that in order, and you know this as a play therapist, in order for any of us to get good at something, we have to practice and we have to have opportunity. And so one thing I notice is that um, there's a few things. One, our lives are crazy busy. So a lot of times parents don't have time for play dates or they're not giving the kid as many social opportunities. Um, and the second is a lot of times you don't get the kid that you imagine in your head. You get what you get if you don't get upset. So I have had many, many times when I'm giving a speech and an audience member raises their hand and says, 
I'm an introvert and I'm raising an extrovert and I don't need to be with people all the time, but my kid does. And I don't really want to have a play date three times a week. Or an extrovert says, you know, I am raising a kid who's an introvert and they're very content um, in their intellectual world or in their own little world. And so I think what, you know, it is not necessarily that people who are shy have bad social skills. It is more about you have to know thyself and know the kid you're raising and just know that in order to be um, playing well with others, you have to actually play frequently and you have to use those skills. And so you as a parent, I mean, there's times when I want to play date like, oh, God, I'm like, oh, my Lord. But you have to do it to a certain extent. And that's what the book is about is how to do it well. But it, it it's necessary. And so that's really where that comment comes from. And do you think that there is a connection or correlation between studies that clearly show and curriculum that clearly shows that there's a lot less play in our society today than there was in the past. Do you think there's a correlation between less play, therefore greater social skills challenges? Yes. I think that there's two roads, right? There's less play, there's more technology. So there's definitely things that are cropping up. And I think the distinction I make is that Everybody, and people always titter when I say this, has a member of their family they avoid at Thanksgiving. Somebody who doesn't have great social skills, somebody who's overbearing, somebody who's a know-it-all, what, whatever it may be. These problems have existed since the dawn of time. But the difference now is now we have that piece of the population. And now we also have the additional thing of people who are, you know, losing those communication skills that we had growing up because of a lack of play. So the difference to me partly is that, you know, a kid who has good social instincts, but is on their phone too much, we can take away the phone and they have those basic instincts. If you don't, if your kid doesn't know what to do, it's, it's much, it's much different. But I I mean, absolutely a lack of play, a lack of communication, too much structure, too much pressure, frankly, on our kids. They're under so much pressure to, um, to be in a race to nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're speaking my language and what I (laughs) preach a lot about. One of the things that I got to, I got a a galley copy, so I didn't get to read your whole book, but I have looked through it and I'm so excited about it. In Why Will No One Play With Me, you have some practical tips, things that people can do. Can you talk about what are some of the top tips you want to share with these listeners today on what a parent can do to support their child who's struggling with social skills? Yes, absolutely. That's my favorite part. I'm I'm all about the how because I feel like as a parent I go to talks and people don't tell me how and I'm like this is nice. What do I do? You know. Mm-hmm. Um so one of the top things is a parents often ask me, you know, the the methodology and why will no one play with me is all about asking open questions and recapping or reflecting what your child says and that gets them to open up more. But a lot of parents say to me, "Look, my kid doesn't open up. I'm trying and they shrug or they give me these one word answers. So one of my biggest tips is when a kid shrugs at you or they look away, don't interrogate, but ask them about it. 
you know, what, what does the shrug mean? What's going on here? I'm trying to talk to you and I'm wondering, what are you feeling right now? Because a lot of times this is just so hard to talk about that kids are not going to stand up and throw you a ticker tape parade. They're going to just shrug and you say, you know, could we work on this? And they might just shrug. They might not give you what you're looking for. Um, the other thing I would say too is um, I set out timelines in the book in terms of how frequently you should have play dates, how long things should take. But if your kid is really shut down, if they've really had a hard time, um, you might take many, many conversations where you're paving the way toward even working on this and you're just exploring what's going on for them. And that's okay. Because as parents, I think sometimes we read a book and we're like, all right, I'm fired up. I'm going to implement this strategy. But it, if your kid has had a really hard time, they, you know, they may be believing that I'm just going to wait till college and then I'll make friends. And if you, if you come in, you know, like a bulldozer, they're going to shut down even more. Yeah, what the question that's like right at the tip of my tongue right now to ask you about is, and I go through this personally at times with all of my kids, but right now probably with my six-year-old, is what do you think about when parents do the whole, go ahead, say hi to Mrs. Smith, or say bye to little Johnny, bye, and you know, you're kind of shrugging, the, moving them along, like say goodbye, say thank you, say I'll see you later, whatever it might be, like we're talking it out loud and it's in the moment and they're not doing what they're you know, socially supposed to be doing. What do you think about how parents typically handle it and is that right or is there a better way? Well, yeah, that's really interesting that you should say that because I'm actually going through something similar with my five-year-old, so it's partly age appropriate right mm -hmm. but I think um I think one of the things I love to do is take kids out of the moment when we if they're not performing in that moment and ask them about it not in front of Mrs. So-and-so or grandma or whatever but offline because kids often have reasons for why they do things and I often hear from kids that they don't like that person so they don't want to say goodbye or they were embarrassed by something that we said, right, unknowingly. So I, I do think we have to coach them, but I find that a lot of this in the moment coaching that we do, certain kids um, just really don't respond to it. It's kind of like previewing. Everyone says to preview everything for your toddler and your young kid, but there's also now research that shows that for some kids, saying we're going to do this, 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 and this, it doesn't work. It actually makes them more anxious. So I think you have to kind of have that discussion and at a, at, you know, driving in the minivan or at a moment when it's peaceful and just say, hey, I'm curious. You know, I was trying to help you to talk to Mrs. So-and-so and you weren't responding. What's, what's up with that? How come? And they might say, I didn't want to, but you're going to get information. And that information is powerful because for some of the kids I work with, they're like, I was tired, I was hungry, and I didn't want to do it. And now we can talk about a polite pretend. Like sometimes we have to be polite even when we're hungry, you know. But for other kids, they'll say, you know, that person um, isn't someone I like or I don't like you coaching me, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I think we have to ask more. And is that, a, is that a term that you've coined, a polite pretend? 
Yeah. So I feel like with the kids I work with at ADHD a lot, and this, you know, I see this all over the, the place, but they really have trouble with pretending to be polite at times because they find it's inauthentic. I don't really like you, so why would I pretend to like you? Or I'm hungry or tired, so I want to just leave. And, you know, we have to work on what do other people feel. Let's step into their shoes when you, like, grab your mom's car keys and you head to the out the door and you don't even acknowledge your aunt Mavis, you know? So I think that's, um, it's something I find with a lot of kids, but especially kids with self-regulation issues, they tend to kind of struggle with that polite pretend. Yeah. I like that. Do you have any other like terms like that, that a listener might go, Oh yeah, I'm going to use that today. Cause I'm going to use that one like this afternoon. So, um, <laughs> do you have any other um, little goodies? Those are some goodies. So yeah, I have one that is meeting people halfway. So one thing I do with kids who really don't share well, um, especially, you know, it's beyond an age appropriate thing. They really should. And they're kind of my way or the highway. They don't really realize that, you know, everybody gets a turn or everybody gets to make a choice or, you know, they're always picking the movie kind of kids and they could be 44 years old like me and they'd be that way. I always talk about um, choices. And one of the things I sometimes do is I will, um, I'll take information from mom and dad and I'll make a list of all the choices they made on a play date and then all the choices their friend got to make. And I just show them visually, and I have this in the book as a visual, like the pile of choices and the fact that, you know, your brother never actually has chosen the movie in the past six months and you've chosen every time. And it gives them this sense of, you know, meeting people halfway is, is, you know, watching a movie that you don't necessarily want to watch once in a while. So I really love this idea of showing kids things like this, you know, and showing them my way or the highway behavior, because I think they don't mean to be that way. Their their proclivity is just to sort of say, be a little bit of a bulldozer, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I know that you have developed a play better plan. So I want you to share what that is. And I also want to know if the things that you talk about in the book apply mainly just for parents or if educators can also use um, these kinds of skills and actions in their in the schools and in the classrooms. Yeah, absolutely. Educators can absolutely use this. As a matter of fact, a few of the talks that I'm giving this fall are at education conferences to sort of say, you know, as a social skills coach or as a school, we're always being told to do parent education or to do parent training, but it's it's a lot of work and it's really hard. You can take this book and you can take the materials and you, you can hand it to any population and they'll they'll be able to use it. Um, the play better plan is this idea of learning how to coach your kid. So you could use the book just to have better conversations. You could use it to be a bridge if your child is working with a social skills group. You know, you have to reinforce at home or if you're a parent who can't 
um, access a social skills coach, which millions cannot because um, there's waiting lists, there's no one near you, or maybe the person you meet them and they're really ineffective. Um, you can actually use the social skills lessons. And I take all the information that professionals know, and I give it to you in a very user-friendly way so that you can sit down with your kid and you can actually teach them these skills, as opposed to sort of having endless conversations that go nowhere because parents don't have the education and you shouldn't have to get a PhD in order to help your kid. Yeah, I love that. Um, so we are just about out of time. Is there anything I didn't ask you or anything you really want to emphasize about why will no one play with me? You're a I really want to emphasize that parents can do this. You are the your child original teacher, and so often, especially with teenagers, we we are sort of pushed away by them, and we think, oh, I can't do this. They won't talk about this. The book really gives you how to have these conversations, and it may take a while, but you know, we are the ones who are their parent for life, and so a lot of parents will say, I really want to do this, but can I? Absolutely. You taught them to walk. You taught them to ride a bike and they're coming to you. You know, we are the ones who are getting the phone call about, you know, I'm here at this party or I am not invited or whatever. So we this gives you the tools so that you can help them rather than just um, responding with, you know, sort of the same discussion over and over again. Yeah, I love that. I'm so excited. I'm going to share this resource with my own kids' schools, with teachers, educators, and parents, because I think it's going to be the playbook that parents have been waiting for. So I'm so happy for you, and thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you so much for having me, and I appreciate it, and I, I really hope that parents do um, find this a good resource. It's really why I've done this, because I know that millions of parents are kind of left in the cold. Absolutely. Thanks so much. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye.